they're incredible children in so many ways. And really, the legacy I'd like really overall is for their working lives to be easy, to be something that, you know, that actually that they is totally normalised for them when they go into the workplace. Not only for my daughter, but for my sons as well, to say, actually, you've got that, that flexibility. It's not something you have to request. It's there. It's there by default because that's how people work. It's not something you have to make a special application for or that you have to make an application that you think is going to pass a moral bar to be granted, that it's something that's there and that actually things like having decent food and rest facilities and things like that at work are just not things that we have to campaign for anymore that are just part of everybody's normal working life. Welcome to the Big Careers Small Children podcast. My name is Verena Hefti. I believe that no one should have to choose between becoming a CEO and enjoying their young children. For far too long, brilliant people have found themselves stuck on the career ladder when they have children, which leads to greater gender inequality and the same stale, often male, middle-class people leading our organizations. We need to change this. In fact, my hope is that many of you listening will progress to the most senior leadership roles possible, where you make decisions that make our world a better place. Beyond the podcast, I am the CEO and founder of the Social Enterprise Leaders Plus. And if you want support from brilliant, like-minded peers, then join our events or find out about our world-class career development programs for parents. And you can sign up on our newsletter, leadersplus.org.uk forward slash newsletter. By the 17th of October, you can also apply to our fellowship program for ambitious working parents in the NHS. And we'll open applications again in 2023 for our cross-sector fellowship program. This is our 100th episode, which feels like a massive milestone. I never thought that's where we would end up when I started this two years ago. Thank you so much to all of our listeners for being with us and for listening, for suggesting guests, and of course, to all our brilliant guests. And today's podcast guest is absolutely perfect for such a milestone of 100 episodes. Her name is Kate Jarman, and she is a change maker. We talk about being a campaigner while working in the NHS. We talk about being authentic in your conversations and how she built a movement for change in flexible working that completely changed national policy. I hope you enjoy today's conversation. My name is Kate Jarman. As of my day job, I'm Director of Corporate Affairs at Milton Keynes University Hospital and co-founder of a couple of campaigns. The, the most well-known possibly of those is Flex NHS around flexible working. In my normal life, I am a wife and mum to three children who are 12, 9 and 7 and a dog called Sid. <laughs> Very important to mention the dog. And is there anything that you personally used to assume about combining a big career with young children that you don't believe anymore? I think that I definitely used to assume that people with big careers with young children were all doing it really, really well, really smoothly, with no problem, had these kinds of perfect lives, were able to juggle with great finesse and ability, and that I was a a bit of an outlier in finding it chaotic and, and difficult and challenging. And I guess I realised the more that I spoke to people, men and women who were juggling home life with kids, that that just that ideal of that sort of perfect way of juggling, perfect way of combining a job and being a parent just didn't exist and that everybody was muddling along in relative chaos 
And I think that was quite reassuring, really, because I suppose it demonstrates that there's no perfect way of doing anything. There is a way that w- will work best for you and your family, and that won't be the same for everybody. So that, that I think, was a, an assumption that I made definitely and a relief to realise that it was a false assumption. But I guess it's an assumption that keeps reappearing. So I often still do think, well, you're, you're doing that much, so much better and so much more successfully than I am. So it's an interesting myth, I think, that persists that other people are doing this better than you. Hmm. And I love how open you are about it. So you're quite active on Twitter. And the other day, it was quite a bad day. I think I forgot it was my turn to bring kids to school and pick them up. And I forgot the picture that they were meant to bring. And they were all very tired and very shouting when they came home. And I was quite tired as well because my youngest hadn't slept well. And it, it just like I had this moment of failure. And then I saw your tweet, you know, you saw, I always look at Twitter when I want to distract myself from kids that don't behave well. And I saw your tweet saying something along the lines of like, basically, if you've done really badly, you think it's probably not that bad. You said it much better, but it was really lovely to see how someone who is so senior says that actually they're getting it wrong a lot of the time. And you're very open about the stuff that you don't do well with the family. Yeah. Why have you chosen to do that? Yes, I'm not sure it was so much of a conscious choice, but I think it's really important. I think social media is often really curated to be about showing a really sort of shiny, lovely side of life. I think Twitter is possibly less like that. It's a slightly different platform now than perhaps platforms like Instagram, where actually you're, you know, you're seeing the really kind of good bits of people's lives. And I, I really want to be honest in, I suppose, how I am as a parent and a person, I suppose. I don't always find parenting easy. I often feel really out of my depth, especially as the kids get older, actually. There was a totally different feeling of being out of your depth and sort of really tired when they were younger and that constant sort of physical need to parent. Whereas as they get older, it's obviously, it's different. And it's more challenging in different ways. For me, it's important to be able to say, Like you're not always going to get this right. Your days are not always going to be great days. We all get it wrong. And actually, I suppose being aware of that as a parent is also important because if you think I can never make a mistake and I can never admit that I've had a bit of a bad day and you can't forgive yourself, it's a really high bar to hold yourself to. I think for me, it makes it makes it impossible, really. It makes it impossible to feel like you're doing a good enough job. And really, I think that's all we can be as parents. We can be good enough. You know, we are good enough. And actually, we get through the day most of the time and the kids are, you know, we're really lucky. The kids are warm and fed and everybody's okay. And I think that it's important to be able to show that that some days aren't great screaming successes where you think, oh, yeah, I've done so well at everything. I've juggled everything brilliantly. Those days do happen. I think, you know, you do get those days where you think, wow, you know, look at what I've achieved today. And you can feel like it's a real superhero day. But most of the time, we're just kind of all people muddling along, doing the best we can. And I think it's important to show that. That actually it's not all perfect by any means but that's fine mm. and a lot of people I've spoken to are worried about being this open on social media or just at work because they are worried about not being seen as a really top performer from your experience what has been the impact of you being so open I have heard from lots of people who have said it's really nice to see someone senior in the NHS talking openly about this stuff you know whether it's parenting or whether it's flexible working or whether it's you know sort of juggling life or whether it's speaking up on you know all sorts of different issues actually I think for me you know it won't resonate with everybody of course but for me it's important to be yourself as a leader and as someone in a senior position that you should be able to be authentic 
are not the same leader as my colleagues. They lead in different ways. They are different people. But for me, it's important to be able to be open and honest with my team. I think also, actually, it was some feedback I was given quite early on in being a director that to be aware of being too transactional as someone in a senior position, because actually, if you don't give anything of yourself to your work relationships with the people who work for you, that it does become very transactional. And actually, people need to be invested in other people. And that's really important. And I think that's something that stayed with me, I suppose, in how I invest, you know, in sort of investing in people and personal relationships. But for me, that sort of authenticity as a leader is is important. And I don't have much of a filter at work. I'm just, I'm kind of just, this is what I am (laughs) in all forums. (laughs) So I don't have much of a sort of divide between how I am at work and how I am in the, in the rest of my, I might swear slightly more in the rest of my life, I suppose. But so for me, that's important. And social media is a great way of kind of breaking down barriers and also reaching people. And and actually, I, I used it more in creating movements like Flex NHS to be able to create movements around change and sort of common feeling and common purpose so it was a great platform for that as well but I think if you're not sort of authentically yourself on social media and you're very curated that's fine if that's comfortable for you but it it creates a different kind of um, platform for engagement with people. Mm. It is very interesting what you're saying I tend to be quite I think I'm probably quite private on social media even though I, I look at a lot of social media and I will engage but I'm quite private and part of it is because I know I can, you know, I'm quite opinionated, so I might say something that then in 10 years time you can still find. But I think it's really actually changing my mind. What you're saying is it's that by being that open and authentic, that helps you to bring along people with your purpose, which is quite powerful. I mean, not everyone agrees. I mean, I suppose there is the flip side of that is that not everyone will agree. So I'll, I'll express opinions on social media that, Certainly not everybody will agree with. And I've you know, had a few occasions where I've had quite unpleasant experiences on social media around particular issues. Usually they're to do with actually women's rights issues or, or trans rights issues, for example. And sometimes just people saying, well, I don't, I, you know, I don't agree with that. And actually, and actually, I've seen their perspective and sort of thought, actually, yeah, that's fair criticism around, you know, whatever it, whatever it, you know, whatever it might be. But I think it's quite, it can be quite a tough space, I suppose. As well, and I think that's probably particularly so for Twitter. I find Instagram is quite a different platform. Yeah, and I think you have to be able to use social media in a way that you feel comfortable with, and not everybody feels comfortable. And you have to share what you what you feel comfortable with, and and so on. But I think it can be a really powerful platform to engage people. And and also, what's great about social media in movements like Flex NHS, particularly, so in opening up conversations about flexible working, is it really democratizes power. So actually, you can amplify the voices of people that really do need to be heard. You know, the NHS is a really massive employer. It's the biggest employer in the country at 1.3, 1.5 million people. I want to be able to, to reach people, to talk to them about flexible working in the NHS and also to amplify their experiences to drive change. And social media is phenomenal for doing that. Mm-hmm. Very inspiring to hear. And you're giving me lots of ideas of what I should be doing more often differently. <laughs> but let's talk about where this comes from. So the, your flexible working in, in the NHS campaign flex nhs do you remember the moment when you decided to start it was there such a moment yeah so i think i've been really fortunate in the bosses that i've had i really in the nhs so when i had my first daughter my chief executive at the time left while i was on maternity leave. I remember coming to see me on maternity leave so that she was leaving and i was devastated because she was you know great boss and was really supportive of me 
but I was really lucky coming back because the person that was acting into her role gave me some great advice, which I've never forgotten, and which I pass on quite a lot, actually, which was when you come back to work, I had a very set idea about what I would do when I came back to work and the days that I'd work and how it would all work together. And none of it did work. And she said to me, just be willing to be flexible with how you want to come back to work and what you try, because actually it might not work and that's fine. And give yourself permission for it to not work and then to do something different and to try different things. And it was great advice because what I thought would work well for work didn't. And so I didn't end up changing the way that I worked when I first came back from maternity leave. And when I went on maternity leave, I then got a, a new boss, the permanent chief exec, who is still my boss now all these years later. And was really fortunate that I had great support from him. I had two more children, had great support from him. One in an organisation I worked with him at before. And I went on maternity leave then and he left. <laughs> it, was like a, it was like a thing whenever I went on maternity leave, my boss seemed to leave. And then when I came back and, and worked there for a, a little while, I, he then advertised a role that I applied for in this organisation. I've been working here for the last eight years or so and had another had my youngest child, obviously, when I was working here. So I think I've been really fortunate around flexibility and having bosses that have really supported and championed that. And actually, my, my boss has got two children, twins, who are a year or just under a year older than my eldest. And so was also doing a lot of juggling about, you know, being a parent. So, again, really got it and was really supportive. So I started kind of talking a lot about flexible working and sort of being the kind of working parent sort of juggle, really, I suppose, on Twitter when, my, when I'd come back to work after my youngest child was born. And then a few years ago now, so I think it's three years since we started Flex NHS, I met a friend who's now a really good friend, co-founder of Flex NHS over Twitter. who would had a really tough time coming back to work after maternity leave. And we'd been talk, we were sort of talking, just we met over Twitter and just exchanging kind of tweets and commenting on threads about how easy or difficult it was to come back to work after having kids. And I talked about, you know, how fortunate I'd been and also that I was in a really senior position. So I was a director at that time and able to dictate a lot of my own time and set my own agendas about how I would use my time and day. But actually, the most people in the NHS couldn't do that. That was not something they were able to do. They were very time bound and very dictated to by their rota and by the demands of that race, whether it's a shift pattern or whether it's whatever it might be. So we kind of got together, Asher and I, and said we wanted to do something about that. We really wanted to amplify the voices of those people who found it really difficult to get flexibility at work and to juggle working parenthood particularly, but not only working parenthood, to get flexibility of all kinds to be able to juggle work and life. And so we set up Flex NHS to do that together. And we were really lucky because we teamed up with some really wonderful influencers really early on in the campaign who really helped to amplify what we were doing and to work with us to reach lots of people. And it's been a great campaign. It is a great campaign to be involved in. I feel very, very passionately about it. And I think we've seen some great changes in flexible working in the NHS, but we've got so much more to do. So that's how it came about, really through the sort of wonder of Twitter, being able to find a great friend and a great network of people who were all interested in this area and wanted to see change happen. And just to give our listeners a flavour, what makes your heart sing the most when you think about that campaign? What's the moment that or the change that you're proudest of? So I'm really proud. And when people contact us looking for help and support, and we're able to, you know, we're able to give that or we're able to hold a space for them to talk to us about what they're struggling with. Or we put out content that really resonates with people and encourages them to, for example, you know, apply for flexible working and to use the resources that we've put together to support them in that. And then they come back to us and say it was successful or I applied for a job I never thought I would never have applied for without without seeing you know, your campaign and your encouragement. 
So that makes me really proud. I think we've also seen, we've been part of working with NHS England around a huge policy shift in the NHS to make flexible working a day one employment right and to make roles flexible by default. I think that happened last year contractually and it's huge actually. It's really huge. It it goes well in excess of the, the current legislation around statutory flexible working requests and is a really, really positive thing for people working in the NHS in this country. But having said that, we've got so much to do in order to bring it to life um, to people, to make it accessible and to do that sort of cultural work around flexibility and flexible working. And I think COVID and working through a pandemic changed the world of work and in the NHS. But it's how we take the good from, you know, around hybrid working, for example, how we enable clinicians to work flexibly, how we bring parity and to flexible working in the NHS for different staff groups. So we've still got so much to do. I think it's really exciting. It's a hugely exciting challenge. And actually, if we want to retain people in the NHS, which we really, really do, <laughs> we have to get this right. You know, it's really important for people. And I know I'm kind of preaching to the converted here, on, probably on this podcast, but both it, when you're coming back to work after a big life change, like having a baby, but also at every different stage of your career, whether you're dealing with illness, whether you're dealing with caring responsibilities, whether it's retirement, all of those different things, you know, flexibility can really, really help and support people at work so yeah I think it's uh, it's hugely important and transformative for the workplace. Mm. So exciting that you managed to influence that policy shift unbelievable and that will be if you were all run by a boss now not that we wish that but let's say you or you change career that's probably more positive one let's say you have nothing to do with the NHS anymore this change is still going to have an impact in 20 years time which is amazing. Yeah, I mean, we, we like to think, yeah we like to think we contributed to that policy change and the work that we did you know, was influential in, in helping to arrive at the decision that, that was the right thing to do. But it was also really, really, and probably mainly, really good, insightful, forward-thinking people in central bodies as well that took that leap. I think the work that for us that we can and must and need to do is really still pushing for that. What does it mean for people actually doing the jobs right now? How do we make that change real? Because the policy change is, is only as good as the people that actually benefit from it. And making sure that we bring it to life is really important. So that for us is really important. And the campaign at the moment is focusing on part-time progression, particularly because we find in the NHS, there is a bit of a myth that you can't progress in a part-time role or you need to drop down bandings or drop down pay grades in your job in order to work part-time or to get flexibility, which is a real myth that we need to bust. Mm, and also, yeah. But not to interrupt you, but you're saying that's the problem in the NHS. That is exactly the same problem everywhere else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been thinking a huge amount recently and haven't come to a conclusion. What is your freshest thinking about actually influencing the people who are for whom this is not a priority? The senior leader who have a lot to do and actually this is just a tangential issue. Practically, where do you start in influencing them to make those policies a reality? So I think it's, it's definitely a challenge. It really is a challenge. I think people that don't value flexible working and are really entrenched in a view that it's impossible or it's pain or it's something else for them to do. I think we really need to be, and this is particularly a narrative in the NHS for me, is that we want in the NHS, and, and you know, we're not alone in this in, in, in industries, but I'll talk about the NHS because it's what I know. We want to keep people from the minute that they qualify, potentially when they graduate you know, in their 20s to when they retire, which might be 50 years in the future. If we've got a manager who says no to that person, you know, five years into their career for a flexible working request (laughs) and they leave, (laughs) you know, we've potentially lost that person for decades of their career or all of it. 
it also cost us a massive amount to replace that person. So it costs us in training time and in building up skills. And so I think it's being able to convince people that there is a clear benefit to flexibility, which is a monetary benefit, you know, in terms of the investment that we've made in people, as well as people feeling supported, like their employer cares about them because they demonstrate they care about them and that we are willing to invest in them. I think in the NHS as well, it's really interesting because we trade a lot on the goodwill of our employees. You know, please do a bit more. Please work a bit longer. And for very many years, that is what we've relied on from people. We've asked them for flexibility and we've said, please be flexible. Please do a bit more. Please work a bit longer. Please stay a bit later. And people have done that actually without being asked because they feel very much that they must and that they prioritise the care of the people that they look after above perhaps their own welfare. And we need to be flexible in return. So it has to be an exchange. It can't just be a take, take, take all the time because that leads to burnout and it leads to people leaving. So for me, it's a retention issue as well as a recruitment issue. If we want to keep people, we need to treat them in a human way, in a way that supports their welfare and that demonstrates that we value them as human beings. It is tough to change the culture of people. But I always I often say to people, well, just because you had it tough kind of going through your career, you've got the opportunity now to make it better for the people that are coming behind you. So why wouldn't you do that? Why wouldn't you want someone to make it better for you? Actually, you can make it easier for the next generation. And that's what we all want, isn't it? We want the next generation coming up through the workforce to have it better. So that's progress, isn't it? That is about progress. And I want the people coming behind me, coming through work, to have more rights, to have better working conditions, better pay, more time for themselves and their families. I want all those things for the people that are. And why wouldn't I campaign to change that? And I think for people in senior positions, they've got that opportunity they can change things for the better and it's a choice you can choose to do it or you can choose to say actually I'm not interested I don't want to do that I'm quite happy with the status quo but people will ultimately vote with their feet and we won't keep them or they won't join us and I think that's particularly so for Gen Z coming through the workforce now their expectations are radically different to my generation probably and those generations before me coming into through work who didn't have demands of their employer they were sort of felt you know so I I think that's really shifted and if we don't keep up with that generational shift then we won't attract and keep people Mm, sorry that was really no 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 it's not at all something I've been thinking about recently is there is sometimes in order to convince those people who are resistant you're absolutely right that it is about the money and the business case and all that but I think sometimes it's fear fear of failing and having and it would really help to have lots of good case studies of how things work and Recently, we tried to, I hope my colleague Joe won't say this, but basically we, we tried to get employers to speak at an event in House of Commons about innovative stuff they've tried to support working parents. And I was so surprised how we really hunted it down and it was just so hard to find really exceptional examples. Yeah. And I think we've still had have a lot of work to do to find not exceptional leaders, they're there, but exceptional departments, exceptional organisations who do interesting stuff and then share that. Do you have any thoughts? Like, I mean, feel free to name drop if you want to give a shout out to any particular hospital or organisations who is doing it brilliantly and you want to celebrate. So I think our hospital does it really well. So I think we can do more. We will do more. We're always looking to challenge ourselves around. And actually, someone contacted me in our own hospital, my own hospital the other day saying, you know, actually, can we do some work through our women's network, particularly around support during maternity leave? So, you know, kind of a buddy system for people come back from maternity leave. and I think. Birmingham Women's and Children's Hospital do some really great work and they've particularly done really great work around support for parents who suffer miscarriage or stillbirth or baby loss early in life. They've done some incredible work around that and they've done some great work around 
supporting parents in the workplace. They're a really good example, I think, of an employer who really do do some good things. I think often because it's cultural, it's hard to measure because it is about the sort of support that you get from your immediate line manager and the support that you get from the people around you coming back that really does transform your experience of coming back into the workplace after maternity leave. One of my colleagues, so she's our head of charity here and and, and one of her team was coming back from maternity leave and she did a sort of tweet saying what makes for a really good return to work after maternity leave. And there was so much on that Twitter thread, just tons of really great observations and thoughts about what makes a return to work as easy as possible. And I think a lot of that is around things like flexibility, but it is also knowing because in those early weeks, I think when you return to work after having a child, although I think it's probably true throughout sort of parenting and working, I think everything sort of turns upside down. You're trying to do a completely different juggle all over again. And what you really need is compassion and understanding. And it's really hard to put that in a policy. <laughs> and it's really hard to bottle it and say, this is how to be compassionate and understanding. And you can give managers tips and you can give them things like checklists and stuff. But it's really hard to make that sort of systematically good. I do think, though, having said that, managers don't get any training on how to be a great manager in that sense. How to deal with issues of life. So, you know, how to deal with people that are coming back from maternity leave and how to support them really well, how to deal with people that are going through menopause and support them really well. So it's all these different things that happen to us throughout our working lives. Actually, there are human being issues that need a sort of compassionate, understanding, empathetic response. And the question, I guess, is how do you train managers to do that? How do you make sure that actually you can manage well um, mm. for those people who need it? Mm. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you know, but so with our fellowship program, we do have a session with managers and it's always really interesting. Obviously, the managers who attend are those who really want to be good, which is a whole different question. But it's really interesting how sometimes it's the things that really aren't obvious that make a massive difference. And, and people often want to do a good job, but don't quite know how. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's huge emotional labour being the manager of people. And actually, that's probably something that perhaps we, we underestimate, that being a good manager and being a good leader is a big emotional investment and does need a lot of emotional labour to do it well and does need you to hold yourself accountable and have insight into your own you know, things that you are outside your experience or that you find uncomfortable or that you need to educate yourself on. I find that all the time. So, yeah, I think it's challenging, but what's, but something we should be challenging ourselves about, I guess, if we want to do this, if we want to do this well. I think it's interesting that it's still difficult to find really great examples of organisations that say, I've got this sorted. Mm. Well, maybe we can get, by the sound of it, we should get a colleague yeah. of yours to come and speak at the House of Commons event. Um, yes. So we, we can link up about that afterwards. So I'm interested just in terms of that change maker element of you. So now you're obviously in quite a senior position, but I'm presuming you weren't always. But no. you've always been a campaigner. And that's hard. To be a campaigner at work is hard. Is there someone who is listening to this and is a bit worried about how it will be perceived and it will harm their career chances? Is there a way of being an activist for flexible working at your workplace without being seen as the constantly grumpy one? <laughs> so I don't think you, do, you definitely don't need to be constantly grumpy to be an activist, I don't think. And I think... Often people have approached me for advice on sort of running campaigns. And I think my starting point would be you want to engage people. You want to engage people in, in a positive movement for change that will improve. You know, your starting point is that you want to improve working conditions. So I think it's about trying to engage in a respectful way, engaging in a way that is going to enable that change to happen. 
I mean, that's what I hope to achieve. I mean, maybe I don't always achieve it, but I think what I would hope to achieve is to be gently challenging to organisations or to policy or to policy in its broadest, in its sort of broadest sense. So gently challenging, sometimes critical, but also to highlight where, particularly in the NHS, where there is also really fantastic things going on. And that so you can you know, gently challenge and call out the negative and promote the positive. And I think there is something about, you know, finding your network and finding your support so you're not a lone voice. But undoubtedly, I'm sure there'll be people that look at what I do and think you want to cause trouble. I, I very much hope that isn't how I come across. So I don't want to cause trouble. I want to create movement for positive changes. And I think that so many people in the NHS do want to do that. And are, are actually, there's lots of grassroots campaigns in the NHS that do just that. There's lots of people pushing for change and who have pushed for change in everything from tackling racism through to things like, you know, improving working conditions. Flex NHS is a campaign movement. It's a social movement of people, you know, working in the NHS and around it. And it, it, you know, it's not a union. It's not any of those things. It's a collection of people striving to make a positive change. And I think actually as a campaigning sort of group, we've been really fortunate. We've had incredible generosity and support from national bodies Great support from other, you know, from leaders across the NHS who've really got behind what we're trying to do, really involved us in national policy groups. Yes, of course, it's a risk to set up something like this, but actually often you, maybe you'll be surprised at the reception that you do get. I think it's it's a balance, isn't it? And I would advise people to not be, I wouldn't want to advise people to be antagonistic and to sort of <laughs> be aggressive or anything like that in their campaigning but to be creating movements where you've got lots of shared purpose. And actually, it's a purpose that you'll, you will find support and support in, in achieving. But yes, undoubtedly, there is always a little bit of a risk of starting something and putting, I guess, putting your head above the parapet. But if none of us did that, then, you know, we would, it would strange, you know, change would be potentially slower and, and more of a struggle. And I think for me, it's important that I see lots of people pushing for change and lots of people that I really admire pushing for the change and doing really great work. And I think it's a good thing to do. Mm. And I love it that you, together with Asha, you just got started by the sound of it. You never knew yeah, we were going to have meetings with NHS England about major national policies. And I think that's very inspiring, I find. So, yeah, Asha and I, and we didn't really start with that purpose. We started with wanting to amplify the voices of people who were struggling with flexible working or, on the flip side, who'd had a really great experience. And it was like, well, why isn't that everybody's experience? So that was our starting point, just to simply amplify what was happening and to give people a voice around flexibility. And really, that's still our core purpose is to amplify. And we broadened out a little bit to sort of, you know, kind of broader working conditions in the NHS and infrastructure that enables flexible working. So, you know, affordable childcare, for example. So we've broadened out a little bit. And actually, there's lots of campaigns that sort of cross with ours, too. And I've got involved in particularly around sort of safety at work and tackling sexism and tackling racism too. So I think when you find someone who's as, who's as interested in something as you are and feels as passionately about it, it sort of sprang up kind of almost organically. And as I said, we were really fortunate that people were so supportive, both from an NHS perspective. We work with healthcare women's leaders as a network, really inspiring, incredible women across the NHS who've been incredibly supportive. People in NHS England, who again, have been really supportive. My own organisation, all sorts of different groups and people because I think people recognize that it's really important everybody can recognize the need to be able to juggle life and work in a way that works that makes work work and our influencer kind of friends and colleagues as well have been incredibly generous with their time and platforms so people like Anna Whitehouse Mother Pucker and her campaign she's worked with us right from the off and has been really uh, you know wonderful to work with so we've been very fortunate in that, in that sense. 
She is absolutely amazing. She's one of our heroes here at Leaders Plus as well. Um, and she's been on this podcast at the very beginning. The thing I'm interested in is obviously you come across as very energetic, but you also do have three <laughs> children who I presume do need quite a bit of, and you have a husband or wife. Yes, so, yeah, yeah, husband, yeah. So you set this up four years ago. How do you keep the energy? And especially when you get rejections or when you get people saying, well, actually, no, we don't really, this is not a priority for us. How do you keep your, the energy? How do you look after yourself? campaigning yeah. for your day, day job and family life so I think it is really challenging and, and we often say the campaigning work has to fit around Ash and I both work full-time we've both got children and obviously life sometimes is you know more frenetic than than at other times so I think campaigning has to work around that but I suppose the energy really comes from the real passion for the purpose of the campaign so it really matters to us so although we might have periods where it's quieter because we simply can't juggle everything ourselves and we have to take a bit of a pause or a step back for a couple of weeks or whatever it might be or we pass the button between each other to say actually I can't do so much this week can you so you know I think we take it of course if we were working full-time on a campaign it would be different but that's not what we're doing we're doing it uh, we're doing it around our full-time jobs and our lives so I think we learnt probably not early on enough <laughs> but early-ish on that we had to be kind to ourselves on that front because it was going to be a long campaign, you know, movement that we wanted to build that whilst we, you know, we've, we've seen lots of great change over the last few years. So it will be a long sort of campaign for sustained change and to, and promotion of good working lives with flexibility at, at their core. So, but yeah, you're right. It's a juggle. I don't always get it right. Sometimes I really naff off my husband by being head, head down in my phone when I should be perhaps having a conversation about something else (laughs) so I think it is tough I'm trying very hard to be better at things like holidays and stuff and not letting it and being better at at sort of segmenting my time I'm not very good at that so work and life tend to bleed into sort of blend for me that's how I I'm quite comfortable operating like that but I realise that sometimes it irritates my family and obviously this is taking away time from your family but what would you love your children to know about the work that you do in 10 years' time when they've grown up? I hope that would be an amazing thing that it would have a legacy like that, I, I guess. I would be really pleased to know that they knew I was a sort of passionate advocate for better working lives and better working conditions and that the work that we had done through the campaign had made a difference. They are very sort of aware of social issues. They're incredible children in so many ways. And really, the legacy I'd like really overall is for their working lives to be easy, to be something that, you know, that actually that they is totally normalised for them when they go into the workplace. Not only for my daughter, but for my sons as well to say, actually, you've got that, that flexibility. It's not something you have to request. It's there. It's there by default because that's how people work. It's not something you have to make a special application for or that you have to make an application that you think is going to pass a moral bar to be granted, that it's something that's there and that actually Things like having decent food and rest facilities and things like that at work are just not things that we have to campaign for anymore that are just part of everybody's normal working life. So I would love that to be a, you know, two of my kids just think they, at the moment that they might want to be doctors. And I would love for that, that to be, you know, that if they did pursue that career, that actually they found that their working lives were easy, as easy as, as they possibly can be, but easy in that they had flexibility and they had good working conditions. Fantastic. And lots of listeners will want to support your work. Some of them will be in the NHS and others not. What can they do? Obviously, I presume following you on social media is the first step. Yes. Yeah. Following us on social media at Flex NHS, both on Twitter and on Instagram. 
so we had a little bit of a pause over COVID, obviously, about doing any kind of big events. We have been doing some communities of practice and getting people together. We will be doing more of those in the future. So getting involved in those and getting involved in things like online events, sharing good practice. So sharing good practice is a really powerful driver for change as well, but also sharing stories, sharing personal stories and experiences we found as a campaign really does help to drive change. So the sharing of those stories and tagging us in on, on those so that we can amplify them would be wonderful and getting involved when we've got events and stuff coming up too. We can see that. Fantastic. And if someone is inspired by you and wants to drive change at their employer but doesn't know where to start, what would be a couple of practical things they can do this week? So I think people can you know, start by saying, what is it you really want to do? What's your purpose? So what do you want to do and why? And then what's the best way of going about it? You know, do you want to change the whole world? Or do you want to change a bit of the world? And so really think about your purpose and then find the people that are going to help you. Don't try and do it on your own. I think that's really, really important. And I think often we think that maybe we have to do stuff on our own or that we're, we're passionate about it. And that passion will carry us through on our own. But absolutely, there is so much value in finding people that are working in a similar area to you on a campaign project that are interested in the same way. So to definitely find the people that are going to share that journey with you and that can support you and that can join you on that journey because you don't want to do it on your own. You want to have people around you and with you for support. I'm not always great at doing that, actually. And I think Ash is better at it than I am, in fact. But actually, I think I've got better at it. It's something I still need to work on. But asking for help and support and involvement, I think it's really critical. Agreed. But the other thing I'd say is don't be phased because the challenge may, may be great. But if you don't start you will never overcome it. So I think that we can all make change in small ways as well. So it doesn't need to be about changing the world immediately, but you can change someone's world immediately. And that's probably a good place to start. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Kate. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed today's conversation, you might also like episode 14, where I talk to influencer and campaigner Mother Pokka, about how she is driving change for flexible working. If this has been helpful to you and you'd like a practical community to support you, then consider joining the Leaders Plus Fellowship Programme on leadersplus.org.uk. You will get access to inspirational role models who have experience of bringing up kids whilst progressing their careers. You'll get support with practical challenges such as workload management or saying no, and you'll develop your vision and make a plan for career and family life in small group sessions. You will access the research on what causes career progression and how to implement this practically in the context of looking after young children. We have both a cross-sector programme, which will run in 2023, as well as a NHS-specific programme, which applications will close on 17th October 2022. Details are on our website, leadersplus.org.uk. And there are always hardship fund spaces available for those in financially challenging circumstances. And we also have plenty of support on how to get your employer to fund the programme. See you next week.